All right, 8.30 crowd. It's good to see you. All right, I got to take a little poll question before we get started. How many of you, 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 you actually watched the Olympics at night without knowing the outcome? You actually watched it at night. In the day? Anybody, any, you guys are the most disciplined people. I had to, wa- I had to watch it live on the stream. I can't. I just couldn't do it. My wife's pretty good. Kathleen's pretty good. But I had to do it. So, but then we watch it again. Like I already know the outcome, but it's just fun to watch it again. And then you're up at 12 o'clock at night, and it's late. And but um, but uh, so good for you guys. That's very disciplined for you three people that have done that out in this trip. No, I'm just kidding. No, there was more of you. Um, go ahead, take out your notes. I'm going to ask you a question this morning, and then we're going to answer it at the end of the message. But I just want to throw this out. Just kind of earmark this question uh, as we as we unfold the, the word this morning. I just want to throw out this question to you. Knowing the sins that I have committed, can God still use me? Just just earmark that in your brain and we're gonna we're gonna tackle that question at the at the end of the at the end of the message. And 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 I just want you to have hope this morning and know that that there's hope for us today. Amen. In Christ Jesus. We're in the middle of a series, summer series, as we're tackling the subject of the Holy Spirit. We're looking at the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts that Luke wrote. And uh, we've been going through the book of Acts, and we know that it was written about the beginnings of the church. And the book describes uh, the followers of Christ being empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the message of Christ. So we've been really looking at the character and the person of the Holy Spirit. And I know. Many of you, depending on what kind of uh, religious background you have or what churches you were raised in, some of you, either there was a really over-over-emphasis on the Holy Spirit or there was no emphasis on the Holy Spirit or it was just Father, Son, Holy Bible. You were like, what is the Holy Spirit and what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? And I believe through the teaching of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit can be alive and active in the church today working through spiritual gifts and speaking to our hearts and empowering us to proclaim His Word. And one of the things that we've noticed as we've been going through the book of Acts is how amazing the early church was in the things that they did for God. And if there was one thing that was more amazing than anything else I could point to in the early church that we can see is this one very thing is that their lives were literally transformed. There was a transformation that happened in people's lives as a direct result of the preaching of the Word of God. One person. Thank you, Julie. Appreciate that. Amen? Listen to me. Here's what was so powerful about the early church, and this is what we emphasize. If if, if you're wondering... What the, what the crux of living word is and what's so important about our church, it's this one thing. We believe that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We believe the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And so we emphasize the preaching. That's why, you know, we, 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 I sometimes preach a little too long. So I, you know, I, I'm sorry about that, but we just we we emphasize the word of God. We believe that it's through the word of God that lives can be transformed. And how many of you can say amen to that? That you were transformed through the hearing of the word of God, because we believe that it's truth, and we believe the truth 
is what sets you free. So this isn't my opinion. It's not about a preacher. It's not about a personality of a pastor. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the Word of God. Even the Apostle Paul said, listen, I didn't come to you with real eloquent words. Now, I may have not have been the best orator in the world. Um, I may not have used the best delivery in the world. But what I did give you was the power of the Word of God driven through the Holy Spirit, and that's why your lives are changed. Not because of the Apostle Paul, not because of Bard Gerais, but because of the Word of God. When you heard the Word of God, your lives were transformed. And that was the one thing that we can see about the early church, is that thousands upon thousands of people were changed by this Word and the culture around them literally changed around them. So God, one by one, began to transform lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a movement that crossed social, economic, racial, and religious lines. The message of Christ wasn't just for one group of people. It was for all who would come. And the most incredible thing about the message of Christ is that it is so simple. It's not complex. We make it complex. We, we make it so difficult. We, we put so many, many times we put all these stumbling blocks in front of people to, to get to know the Lord or what Christ has done for them. And, and, and I've made this mistake in the past before where you're talking to somebody and you want them to know Jesus. And then we say, well, well, why don't you just come to church with me? Which is fine. We need to invite people to church, right? That's good because they can hear the message here. But how many know it's not about bringing people to church so they can hear the message. You're the message. Christ has transformed you. You're the living gospel before that very person that you work with or your family member that you can tell them how Christ has transformed your life wherever you are, sitting, talking to a neighbor, or in your cubicle at work, or talking to somebody, you know, Skyping to China or some other place, however businesses do it now. I mean, you are that living example of what Christ has done for you, and you can share that message. That's what makes it so powerful that it doesn't have to happen within the four walls of a church. It happens out in the world, and that's what gripped the early church is they didn't just take this message to each other, but they took it to the world and where they lived, and that's where the transformation occurred. And, and so the, the incredible thing about the message of Christ, it's just simple. And, and we're going to just break it down for you today, how simple that message to me. Now, listen, it's not difficult to understand, but it is difficult in this way, because we have to humble ourselves and allow Christ to rule our life if the transformation is truly going to occur. Can I hear an amen? Are you guys awake this morning? Because you're not amening me. I'm not feeling the love. No, I'm just teasing you. Here's, here's some statistics. Some researchers have said that 9 out of 10 Americans believe in God. Up to 80%, they say, are Christian. Now, you would think that if 80% of our nation is Christian, then we would see a huge culture shift in our society. But are we seeing that? No, we're not. The problem is this. Do we really understand what it means to be a Christian? Because if we did, there would be this huge transformation that would occur in our life that just wouldn't be for Sunday morning. It wouldn't just be some 
personal religious thing that's in my heart that I just keep tucked away for myself, but it actually transformed the way I live and who I share this with. And, and so there should be this great movement that should happen if, if our lives are truly transformed like what happened in the early church. But what, causes, what caused so many in the early church to turn to Christ was this transformational message about Jesus that was spoken with the conviction through the Holy Spirit. And so, so powerful was this message that it changed their culture and those around them. So, do we hear that message today? Well, I don't know if we necessarily hear that message today. We, we may say things like, well, Pastor, you know, that's why I don't go to church because, you know, I just don't want to go to church and, and have more guilt in my life. I don't want somebody beating me up. If, if that's the case, I'll just go golfing on Sunday morning if I just want to feel guilty about my life. So before you turn me off, I've got good news for you. And, and I believe that this message is what changed this, this first century world upside right for, the, for Jesus Christ is because they understood how powerful that message was. So what was so powerful about the message of Christ? It was, it was powerful for this reason. Here's why this message was so powerful and so different from all the other messages that were, 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 were resounding from the culture. Because it dealt with man's biggest problem. Now, if, if you're going to have a, a, a true worldview, and whether you like it or not, everybody has a worldview. And if you're going to have a true Christian worldview, you've got to be able to answer these three questions. Why are we here? Everybody asks that question. Why are we here? What, what's the purpose of life? Why are we here? Why were we created? And, and many people don't know why, or they just think life is just meaningless. And it's just everything is, is naturalistic and it's just haphazard and that should make you feel warm and fuzzy and just want to live for tomorrow, right? If, if that's all that there is. We, we need to know what the problem is. What's the world's problem? Why is there evil? Why is there all these things that happen around us? And the third thing we need to answer is how do we fix it? So for a Christian, we know those three answers. We know why we're here, why we were created, what's the origins of life. We understand that. As believers, we should understand what the problem is in the world. And as believers and followers of Christ, we should know how to fix it. Those are the three biggest problems, the three biggest questions that everyone should ask themselves. And we have the answers. So the message of Christ was so powerful for this re reason. It dealt with man's biggest problem. Now, the, our biggest problem is not economics, Amen? That's not, our biggest problem is not gas prices. I know there's pain at the pump, and I, every time I fill my tank up, I don't even look at the price. I, just, I put my hand over the, the price of it because I don't want to look. One time my kids were looking out the window, and they're like, Lily, my 10-year-old, goes, Wow! It costs 60 or $70 to put... I, please don't. <laughs> so I'm covering her eyes, covering the price of the gas, and I'm like feeling my wallet and just it hurts i understand but that's not our biggest problem our biggest problem is not is not education that's not our biggest problem and see what we try to do is we try to solve all these problems but we're not really dealing with the major problem the real problem the real problem is sin we're all sinners and we've fallen short of god's 
perfection. That's really the problem. Until we deal with that problem, we're just scratching the surface with all these other problems. Because all these other problems really deal with the main problem, and that's we're all sinners, right? That's why we have all the problems in the world. That's why there's evil in the world, because we are sinners. So to understand this problem, sin, we must define it. And what happens, I think, is we tend to simplify sin by what I do and don't do, right? So we just basically, we, 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 all this have some type of conscience in our, our minds that we know, okay, this is right and this is wrong. And, and, and some people are, have, have greater conscience of, like, this is really wrong. Some people are, well, it's not that wrong. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, then I guess it's okay. We, we all think about sin in terms of what I don't and don't do. Like, I don't get drunk. I don't swear. Well, you know, I, I, I don't smoke, chew, or go with girls that do. Okay, so I, I got a couple words for you. Goody, goody for you. And let's put a gold star on your forehead and give you a cupcake. Okay, so that's good. If that's, if that's all we define, because that's the way the world defines it. Well, I define it by comparing myself with other people. So if I'm not as bad as somebody else, then I guess I'm, I'm doing okay. But that's really not the true definition of sin. To really understand sin, we've got to find the biblical definition of what God calls sin. And I think probably the best definition that we can find is in 1 John 3, 4. You can look up the screens, your Bibles, your notes. Let's see what it says there. 1 John 3, 4 says this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Underline that in your notes. Lawlessness. And they define it this way. Listen how John defines it. Sin is what? Lawlessness. So we need to understand that sin can be summed up in one word. It's not necessarily summed up in what I do and don't do. It's summed up in lawlessness. So what does that mean? If, if the message, listen, 830 people that woke up early to come to church this morning. Listen to me, 830 group. If we're going to really, if that message of Christ is going to transform us, if it's going to transform the world around us and our, and our culture around us, we've got to understand this because I believe the reason why Christianity is, 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 is so lax in our world today, in America today, is because we're not getting this message. We're not understanding the true transformational message. We're just kind of getting this therapeutic Jesus that's just there to help me with my problems and that's it. And, and this Jesus that's just there to solve my problems and just to help me in my life. He's kind of a, an, an add-on to my life. If Jesus can help me, then good. If Jesus can help me be a better father, then good. If Jesus can make me more money, then good. But is that really the gospel message? No, it's not. And that's why I believe it really hasn't transformed our society the way it should. So we've got to understand the problem. And the problem is lawlessness. So here's the bottom line. We have sinned and we have broken God's law. That's the problem in our world today. We have broken God's law. Now, what is God's law? Let me... It's summed up very easily. God's law, we know, was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. He was given those Ten Commandments on the tablets, right? We understand that. And basically, here was the law of God. He said, do not have any other gods before me. 
Do not make or worship any idols. You know what the biggest idol in your life is? You. You're the biggest idol in your life, okay? So he says, don't make any idols for yourself. He says, do not use God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Honor your mother and father. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet, which means wanting something that's not yours. Now, okay, here's the thing. What's the purpose of law? We all get that. And and when we look at these laws and we break these laws, we feel guilty, don't we? We feel like, oh, okay, now that I know what I'm not supposed to do, I feel guilty. And how many of you have done something that you knew you weren't supposed to do? Right? Okay, all of you should have been raising your hands. Okay, we've all done something that we knew that we weren't necessarily supposed to do. We knew the the speed limit on 104 was 55, but, but we go 60 and we go 65. We know what the speed limit is. So when the officer pulls you over, you, we've got no excuses, do we? Because they ask you, the first question they ask you is, do you know what you were doing wrong? No, officer, I don't know what I was doing wrong. You were going 85 miles an hour. You're like, oh, I was? Oh, geez, you're tapping on your spinel. Was this thing working right? Because it said 55. I mean, there's no, I mean, I, I love talking to officers. I'm like, give me your best excuse that people have ever given you for speeding. And they'll give you these lists of stuff. It's just so funny, you know. Oh, I'm pregnant. I got to get to the hospital. And there's nothing there. You know, there's no tummy or nothing. I mean, it's just all this craziness of all these excuses because we feel guilty. Okay, so what's the purpose of the law? Was it just to make you feel guilty? Are they a set of rules to make you feel good about yourself? Are they a checklist to see how you're doing? Like you say, hey, okay, out of 10, I've nailed seven. So seven out of 10 isn't that bad? So, so if I were to get a grade, Jesus, I would get a 70. So isn't that passing, right? It, I'm passing, right? I, I'm, I'm doing a good job. But listen closely to me. These are not rules you work at to make you holy. God established these rules to show that you are not. Let me read it again because that's so good. That's wisdom all wrapped up in one sentence, okay? Listen, the commandments are not rules that you work at because that's the problem with religion, isn't it? That's the problem why people, many people, their motivation for going to church, they feel good about themselves. Oh, we woke up this morning, went to church, you know, you got in your car and your neighbor was over there watering his lawn and you got in your car. Hey, how you doing, Joe? Good, hey. I'm going to church. Have fun watering your lawn, okay? Going to church, okay? I'm holy. Got my whole family here, and we're going to church. Even got my Bible. Got my Bible, and we're going to church. We feel good about ourselves. We get done with church. I went to church today. And maybe even went to Sunday school. Oh, man, Sunday school. I went to church, and I went to Sunday school. And maybe I'll go to Wednesday night Bible study. And if I'm really holy... I'll go to prayer on Tuesday night. God, I went to prayer on Tuesday night. Did you see that? Are you listening, God? I went to church Sunday. And we, we make up, don't, we, we, we try to be holy by what we do. And we think we're racking up brownie points with the Lord. They are not rules you work at to make you holy. God established these rules to show you that you are not. Listen, 
We are lawbreakers because we have offended God. Every single one of us have offended God because of our sin. These laws were not given to save you. They were given to point out your guilt. Okay, so there's no grade scale here. It's not 7 out of 10. It's not 8 out of 10. It's not 9 out of 10. It's we've all broken them. We've bro- if you broke one of them, you broke all of them. And in fact, there were so many laws. Do you realize there were 613 different laws that man set up? And the problem is if you broke one of them, you broke them all. See, that's the problem with trying to set up man-made rules and, and trying to follow rules and add on to God's rules because what we begin to do is we begin to create a system of do's and don'ts and, and as long as I do more do's than don'ts, then I feel better about myself. But the problem is these laws weren't given as a grade scale to save you. They were given just to simply point out and even magnify your guilt. So every single one of us have broken one of these laws, and we've broken, if you broke one of them, you broke them all. So you may say to yourself, well, I've never swore in my life, Pastor. Yeah, you did. You did in your heart. Well, I've never committed adultery. Oh, yeah, you did. Jesus says even if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed the act. So the question is, how do I get out of this mess? If we are all lawbreakers... And we've all sinned and we've broken God's law, then we're in a pickle, aren't we? Because there's not enough good works, there's not enough church attendance or Bible reading that you could ever do to overcome what you have broken against God. We are all broke. And there's nothing we can do in our own strength. So the question is, how do I how do I get out of this mess? Where a lot of people say, Well, I'll just go to church, or I'll try to be a better person, or I'll never do that again. How many of you heard that one? I promise, those of you with kids, I'll never do that again. My son Colby, he's 15 years old, always leaves the milk out. I wake up in the morning, there's the milk, sitting on the counter, just curdling and smelling funky. I mean, and I said, Colby, I know it's him. I said, Colby, you left the milk out again. Sorry, Dad. I'll never do it again. I'm just holding my breath because I know he'll forget, okay? So, listen, we've, we've all been there. Guess what? We've got an answer for that. Yes, you will do it again and again. You will lust in your heart. You will lose your temper. You will blow it. And then you will start all over again. But if God is just and if God is holy then He should give us what we deserve, right? If He's a perfect God, perfect in loving and perfect in His just, and if we're, we've admitted that we're all lawbreakers, shouldn't we get what we deserve? I mean, we deserve punishment, just like a guilty person deserves prison if they've done a terrible crime. We wouldn't ask a judge to pardon them. They get what they deserve, justice. So, wow, we're in big trouble because we can't become holy in our own strength. So the question is, is there any hope? And the, and the resounding answer is yes. God had a plan for us before the world started. God knew that we would need a Savior to rescue us from our 
dilemma. Only in Christ can we be made holy. Because nothing unholy can stand before a holy God. And so only in Christ can we be found right. So notice, the message Christ gave the apostles as they spoke the good news to their generation had a common thread or a common theme to what they spoke. They did not speak the message of here's how you become a better person. They weren't all these how-to messages. They weren't God's going to make you rich. God's going to make you a better husband. Listen, when you're in Christ and you've repented before him, listen, God will make you a better husband. He'll make you a better wife. He'll make you a better employee at your place of employment because now you're serving Christ and not yourself. You'll be doing things to help others and not necessarily yourself. So he will do that, but that's not the reason why Christ came. That's not the transformational message. Is that clear? So let's look at the transformational message. What was actually spoke? What was the good news that was given to their generation. Let's hear what Peter said. Peter said in Acts 5.31, here's his message. God, and speaking to people, this great transformational message, Peter said, God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of what? Sin, of their lawlessness. 10.43, let's see what he says again. Here's something real powerful. He says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives what? Forgiveness of their sins through his name. Listen to what the message that Jesus gave the Apostle Paul in Acts 26.18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they might receive forgiveness of what? Sins. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So what is the common thread in all these verses? Well, the common thread is that our sins are forgiven in Jesus' name. That's the good news. The good news isn't, I'll be a better husband. The good news isn't, all my problems will go away. The good news isn't, all my health issues will be gone. The good news is, sins are forgiven by Christ. That's the good news. And and unless we receive that transformational message that my sins are forgiven, your life will never truly be transformed because something will always be empty in your life. You'll always be searching for something more. So if Jesus hasn't fulfilled this one area of your life, then you say, well, I guess Jesus didn't work. Well, the problem is you didn't receive the true message. The message that the apostles spoke to that generation around them was, your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name. So you ask, so we have to ask the question, how does this all work? The only way our sins can be forgiven if someone takes the punishment for us. How can my sins be forgiven? Just They're just forgiven? Is that it? Is that all there is to it? Okay, good. Okay, well, I don't, okay, Jesus, you know, when I was growing up, I was like, okay, Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus rose from the grave. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, you knew all that stuff. What does it mean? 
Because we can go to people and say, hey, your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name. Okay, great. Unless we know that we're a sinner and we've fallen short of God's grace, we can't even express or understand the magnitude of God's grace and what he's done for us. So we've got to understand what God did for us. And he did something incredible for you and I and able for your sins to be forgiven. Someone else had to take the punishment. Because remember, we're all lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. We've broken the law. We're all guilty. We stand condemned before God. Guilty. We're pun- we should be punished. So we stand guilty. So how do we overcome that guilty verdict? Well, it was this guilty verdict was very obvious to Israel in the Old Testament. And God made this obvious to Israel through a sacrificial system. There had to be a sacrifice to God in order for their sins to be forgiven. And it was through the sacrifice of an animal, the sins of the people would symbolically be transferred onto that animal. And this would be very apparent to Israel as God ordained through the Levitical priesthood on the Day of Atonement, which would only occur once a year. And this Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, would cover their sins temporarily. And this was a day that God wanted Israel to witness. This is what I'm doing for you. This is how your sins are being covered. The high priest would literally have two goats and one was to be sacrificed. The other was to be the scapegoat and would be released into the wild. This would be a visual, symbolic reminder every year to Israel what God has done for them that they could not provide For their salvation. They could not provide for their atonement. God had to provide it for them. Are you getting this? Okay, They couldn't do it. So this was a reminder. God is going to provide the sacrifice. As Abraham offered up Isaac, God provided the sacrifice. Adam and Eve, when they put fig leaves on themselves, wasn't good enough. God provided the skins of animals to cover their nakedness and their shame. Capiche? Okay, we've got to get this. We're getting deeper now, okay? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? This is pretty heavy for 8.30, so you guys are doing good, okay? You may need to stay for the 11, because you may, it may all sink in at the 11 o'clock. Service. Okay, so what happens here? Here are the high priest, two goats to be sacrificed. One was a scapegoat to be released into the wild. Why was it done this way? It was done this way because it was a foreshadow of what Christ would ultimately do for you and I. And here's what would happen. The sufficiency and completeness of this sacrifice of what Christ did for us was seen in these two goats on the Day of Atonement. You see, what happened is the blood of the first goat, the Bible tells us, was sprinkled on the altar, on the cover of the altar, atoning or covering their sins. This ritually appeased the wrath of God for another year. The justice of God was appeased. Their guilt was covered. God said, not guilty for one more year, but they'd have to come back because it was just a temporary covering. They knew they would have to come back year after year after year and offer up these sacrifices. So the first goat was to appease the wrath of God and his justice, his anger for our sins that were towards us. 
became towards that goat. That goat was the substitute for our sins. The blood, the life that was taken was a substitute for the people and the children of Israel to recognize that God's guilt had been appeased for another year. Now, what's interesting is the other goat, the second goat, the high priest would lay his hands on the head of the goat to symbolize the sins of the people. And what they would do is they would release that goat into the wilderness and their sins would be forgotten and no longer to cling on to the people. So this was a visual Example to the people that their sins have been removed as they released that literally released that goat into the wilderness. The killing of the one goat would remind them that God's wrath had been appeased and their guilt was covered for another year. So the goats were the substitute for the people in the same way Christ became our substitute. So here's how powerful the message of Christ is to you and I. Jesus bore our sins and took the penalty for us through his sacrifice. And also by his blood, he appeased the wrath of God towards our lawlessness. Jesus took your, he took my guilt upon himself. He who was sinless and perfect bore our guilt. That's how much Jesus loves you. You want to talk about Jesus' love? That while we were still enemies with God, the Bible tells us that Christ died for us. He took your guilt. You were helpless in yourself to save yourself. God, through his wonderful son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect, bore our guilt upon that tree 2,000 years ago. And what's so wonderful about that, it was a perfect sacrifice. There's no more need for goats and lambs to be sacrificed before the Lord because Jesus, the Hebrew writer says, was a perfect sacrifice. In fact, a once and for all sacrifice. So listen. You and I trying to do little acts of penance before the Lord is a joke. Can I just be honest with you? Let me just be raw with you, okay? Let me just be really raw with you. We try to make deals with God by saying, God, I won't do that again. I'll try to be a better person. That's a mockery to what Christ did on the cross for you and I. You think your little acts of goodness and penance can ever measure up to what Christ did for you and I? Does that make sense? Now, that should release a lot of you from a lot of guilt and condemnation from trying to do good works because you can't do it. You've, we've got to fall on the mercy and grace of what Christ has already done for us. So in Christ, we are justified, made right, declared not guilty, innocent, righteous. This is what separates Christianity from every other religious belief, every other religious system. You have to do something in order to appease the gods. Jesus did it for us. Every other system is due. Christianity is done. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. He died for past sins. Jesus died for present sins. And Jesus died for your future sins that you will commit the minute you walk out of church today. Okay? So, Let's, let's just realize it. He died for those sins too. On the cross 2,000 years ago. It is done. So you are covered. 
in his blood today and the forgiveness of what he's done on that cross for you and I. So that's why the Bible says that when we mess up, that we confess those sins and Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. That's powerful. I can't do it in my own strength. I need the Lord. So he did it for us. So if that's not good news, I want to answer the first question that I posed to you at the beginning of the message. Knowing the sins that I have committed, can God still use me? Not only can God use you, but the Bible says that he makes all things new. The the life-changing power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that He makes all things new. Some of you are sitting here today and you say, Pastor, you don't know my past. I've been abused. I've had all these atrocities done against me. And I say to you this morning, Jesus makes all things new. You are not damaged goods in Jesus' name. Pastor, you don't know my lascivious lifestyle that I've lived. I say to you, Jesus makes all things new. My marriage is shipwrecked. Jesus makes all things new. I've got guilt in my past. I've got this. Jesus makes all things new. And so that's the powerful message. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, listen, this is what it means to those who become Christians. They become new persons. They are not the same anymore. For that old life is gone. The new life has begun. All this newness of life is from God, who brought us back to Himself through what Christ did. Past tense. Not what you are going to do in the future. He already did it for you. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to Him. And the person that wrote this, Paul, called himself the chief of all sinners. He actually actually took, you know, he, he actually took pride in killing Christians for the sake of what he thought was religion. He actually took pride in that. And he called himself the chief of all sinners. But God, through the power of Jesus' name, transformed him his life. And this is what Paul said to Timothy. This is a true saying. And everyone should believe it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Not good people. Sinners. And I was the worst of all of them. Jesus changed the life of Paul. Paul could have had a lot of guilt and condemnation for what he did, supposedly in the name of God. Yet he found forgiveness in Christ and healing. Paul is saying this, people. I am the ultimate example of God's grace. So you need to ask yourself the question, where are you today? Are you still trying to make up for your past sins in your own strength? You see, Paul found the answer for his guilty past by giving it to Christ and finding forgiveness. And you can do the same thing today. Listen, I kind of... In my mind, the other day, I was like, I was jogging, and I usually listen to podcasts as I jog, and this one pastor mentioned how many sermons he preached at his, at his church, and I'm thinking, okay, 
I've never preached the same sermon twice. Now, I can tell you that. I've never done that. I've never gone back. I don't do Saturday night specials. I don't sit up Saturday night going, hmm, what am I going to tell the church today? You know, uh, I prepare my sermons in advance, my, my series in advance, and I really pray about what the Lord wants me to share with the congregation. I was thinking, I'm gonna, I'll be at the church 13 years this December. I had no gray hair when I was here 13 years ago. Okay? My ch- I only had two children, and they were like three and two. And now they're all older, and I feel real old. And I got my first eye exam the other day. <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> the, the doctor goes, you've never had an eye exam? I said, no. You Really? I said, really? Really? Yeah, really. I've never had an eye exam. So when you, I have reading glasses now. They just came in. So next week when you see me, put my reading glasses on. Okay? All right. I didn't think you guys would applause over that. I was like, I, that makes me feel better. Just don't laugh. Don't call me four eyes. Don't call me. Okay. So I'll have them next week. Okay. I don't know why I told you all that. But anyways, I was just thinking as I was jogging, how many sermons have I preached? And it's been about, probably about 700, I think, I've, over 13 years that I've totaled all together, not including Wednesday night. More than, you can double it because I preach twice on Sunday morning. But anyways, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, is, is, is any of this stuff sinking in? You know, are the people getting this message? And, and if I were to say to you, if you were to hear anything from those 700 messages that I would want you to hear more clearly than anything else, is that there's freedom in Christ. That Christ does make you new. And I think for some of you, you've been struggling with that. Can he really set me free? And, and, and listen, I'm not saying that books don't help us. I'm not saying that counseling doesn't help us. But listen, those are just add-ons, okay? The real thing that has to occur in your life is Christ has to transform you from the inside out. That's what made the message of Christ so powerful in the early church, that there was the power of the Holy Spirit that backed up the Word of God that transformed lives. And you've got to ask yourself this morning, has Christ truly transformed me? That's, we don't take communion for my health. We take communion because we recognize that it's through his body and through his blood that we are transformed today. So I don't care what anybody calls you. I don't care what your old friends may think the way you are, or the way you used to live your life. If you are in Christ, the word of God says you are a new creation. Listen, start living like it. Will you start living like it? And I know the enemy's right there. I know the enemy tries to bring up your past. There are times when I'm just, in my life, I just, the past comes up and I feel guilty about things. I'm like, am I doing a good enough job, Lord? Am I doing this? I'm doing this. And then like there's this overwhelming sense of God's grace that just floods me and says, Barden, you can't do it in your own strength. Rely on my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. And so I turn right back to Christ. And I say, Christ, I just want to be used for your glory. I don't want the glory to go to me. I want everything I do to reflect your glory and to give it back to you. I'm telling you, when you live your life that way, you're going to find freedom and peace God will change your marriages. God will change your personal life. God will give you a new way you look at your job, your employer, all those things. He will change you because he changes you from the inside out. 
That's the message we need to hear today. So listen. It's okay to recognize that you're a sinner. I know that's not politically correct. I know that's not you're a snowflake and you're special and blah, 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 blah. I know the way the world is. We constantly fight against all the your special stuff and your, your unique stuff. And, you know, I give that English teacher a lot of credit in Massachusetts that actually spoke a spoke at their graduation service and just told the kids they weren't special. I was like, you, I was great. I, it was just such a great message. We need to hear that. We just hear that. So we think that I've got to do something. And Christ says, it's nothing you can do. It wasn't because you were special that he died for you. It's because you're a sinner that I died for you. That's the message of the cross. Because if there was something special in me or good in me, then I have no need for Jesus Christ. I have no need for his atoning power. I have no need for my guilt to be covered if I'm just told that I'm a good person. Now, I'm not saying we can't do good things. I'm not saying there's not people do good things in the world. But telling people that they're good, what begins to happen is we begin to whittle away at what Christ did on the cross. Jesus died a horrible death. And when we come to the communion table, we remind ourselves that, Jesus, your death was bloody. You hung naked on a cross for for me. Why? For my sins. He came for sinners. The Bible said he didn't come for well people. He didn't come for people that thought they were well. He came for sick people. It's sick people that need a doctor, not well people. We are sick. Some more than others. No, I'm just saying. We we are sick, okay? We need a Savior. And Jesus is that perfect Savior in every way. And the reason why he's perfect is because he rose from the grave, proving that he was God. It was God that provided the substitute for you and I that we could never provide for ourselves. So some of you here today, you need to be set free. Some of you here today, you say, well, how do I, what do I do next, Pastor? You respond by faith and put your trust in Christ. And the Bible says, anyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you're saved from your sin, You're saved from God's wrath and you've gone from a life of lawlessness to a life that God says, he takes his gavel, he hits it on the desk and he says, not guilty. And if you could just look at the cross here, one of these days I may write it on the cross, it says paid in full. It's the Greek word teleos, which they would put on documents saying that it was paid in full. The cross is your stamp that says paid in full. Are you free this morning? Has your life been forgiven by the Lord? Then listen, you're welcome to take communion. We're going to pray. And then we're going we're to take communion as a family today. And we're going to celebrate what Christ has done for us. This is a celebration, you realize, don't you? of what Christ has done for us. That's why when we come to church, we clap our hands, we raise our hands, we get a little excited, we say amen, because we're excited about the transformational power 
of what Jesus has done in our hearts. And all I can tell you this morning, for this 46-year-old man that has to wear reading glasses now, um, all I can tell you is this. At 16 years old, Jesus transformed my life. He transformed it. That's all I can tell you. And I love him. I love Jesus with all my heart. He's perfect in every way. Let me pray for you. Lord, as we bow our hearts before you today, Lord, I know how much guilt and condemnation can play in our hearts. There may be some here today that just, Pastor, I feel like damaged goods because of the atrocities that happened to me, the abuse that has happened to me, and I just feel like, how can God use me? Either because of what has been done to me or what I have done to others, how can God use me? And the message of the cross is this. Jesus paid it all. And so, Lord, we don't come in our own strength, but we come in the strength of Jesus' name. And I pray right now for every heart as they're sitting in their seats that in their way they would call out to you because you peer into the heart. It's not necessarily what we say or if we say it the right way, but, Lord, you peer into our hearts. And the message and the the receiving of the gospel message is so simple. For all who call on my name shall be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. We put our faith in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's come to set us free. And so, Lord, I pray through this message that we would recognize that we are all we are all lawbreakers. And Jesus paid the penalty for my sin to make me free today. And the only requirement is that I fall in the grace and mercy of what Christ has already done for me. So, Lord, set people free. For those that have been walking with the Lord that still feel that condemnation, set them free today through that message so that, Lord, we can lift up holy hands and that we can run the race that you caused, called us to race with freedom and with joy, knowing what Christ has done for us. So just set our church free today, God. And, Lord, I pray as we come to the communion table, it's open to all who have received that message. You don't have to be a member of our church. It's for all those who have been set free by set free by Christ. So Lord, we pray that Lord, you would just uh, bless our time as we come around this communion table and as we worship you and thank you for what you've done. This is a time of celebration because we're celebrating what you've done and we're celebrating that you're coming back to get us and to make all things new and to make all things perfect. So we thank you for that, Jesus. So we just give you our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Listen, I'm going to show you. Just look up at the screens. Just prepare your hearts for communion. And as the video is showing, I'm going to ask the ushers to come. And we'll prepare our hearts to take communion today. Go ahead and look at the screens. God bless you. Amen.
Passover meal before he would go to the cross and before his resurrections. 
He gave him these elements and he said, this bread is, is my body, which is given for you in the same manner he took the cup. He said, this cup is, is a cup in my blood that will be shed for you. This is the covenant I'm going to make with God for you. This new covenant that will bind through my blood God to you. You can't do it yourself. I will provide everything for you. Put your trust in And that's where our freedom and that's where our joy comes from today. So as we partake in communion today, let's remember what Christ has done for us. He's a good Savior. He's a good God and He's perfect. So Lord, as we hold this bread in our hand, we're reminded of your body that was given for us. It was beaten. It was crushed for our iniquities, for our sin. And for that, we're grateful. So as we partake of this bread, we're remindful of the symbolic nature of of what this bread represents. That you are the bread of life. That all who come to you would never hunger again. You would satisfy everything in our life that we're searching for. So thank you for being that bread of life. Thank you for your body that was given for us. And we praise you for that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. And Lord, we thank you for this cup, what it symbolizes. We thank you for your blood that was poured out for us. It's a reminder to us that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. It's a reminder that we're forgiven today and that we're cleansed and that we are no longer guilty. We are no longer lawbreakers, but we stand innocent before the God of the universe and we are clothed now in Christ's righteousness, a new creation, a new person. So, Lord, I pray for every person here today that they would receive that and know that in their spirits, that in Christ they are new. So we thank you for your blood. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' powerful name we ask these things. Amen, amen. Let's partake of the cup today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Amen. Just grab the hand of the person next to you and just as we go today, let's just pray that God would just allow us to go together and just to to bring our church together as we just thank him for what he's done. Lord, as we go now, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. And I pray, God, that you would bind us together with cords that cannot easily be broken, that we would be united in Jesus' name. So, Lord, I just pray a blessing over every individual over every marriage, over every young person, over every teenager, God. Lord, I just pray your blessing over this church, God, that we would continually look to you for our strength and look to you for grace, God, each and every day in our lives. So we thank you for this message. We thank you for your word. And God, may it transform our hearts now as we seek your face and look to you, God, to just to, to answer all the questions in our life. And we thank you, Jesus, you do that. So we thank you for this day, and God, we just pray your blessings upon it now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 God is good. Amen.
Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. If any of you need prayer, our prayer partners will be up front. We'll pray with you guys if you need any needs today. God bless you, though. Go in God's grace. Amen.